Hey there, I'm Kevin Daisy. And I'm Eric Olson. You're listening to the Managing Partners Podcast, where we interview top lawyers about how they're growing their firms. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Managing Partners Podcast. My name is Kevin Daisy, and I'll be your host, as always. Today, I have an awesome guest that's going to teach us about some skills you need to have as an attorney, no matter what level you're on. So I'm excited for Kevin Schulman to join us today and, and tell us about his background. Kevin, welcome to the show. Uh, good to be here. And it's always good to have another Kevin on the show. Uh, absolutely. Can't have you too know, many. You never have too many Kevins. So maybe I'll get yeah. Kevin Costner on here next. There you go. We'll see what we can do. Well, Kevin, we've gotten to chat a few times before, and uh, we focus on a lot of the same things as far as how we grow our firms and how we help others. But wanted to have you tell us your background, where you came from, what you do, and how you help attorneys specifically. Fair enough. So I'll try to take the background part and make it uh, short and, and not start by, you know, I was born in a log cabin, uh, but uh, I actually had two past lives. Uh, I was a, uh, I taught undergraduate psychology for a couple of years back in the olden days of the olden days, the seventies and the eighties. And then I, uh, uh, I realized that I had two choices in life. You can either teach or you can make a living and uh, they're mutually exclusive. So I decided to go into business and I, uh, it'll sound a bit like a, like a non sequitur, but I opened a steel company and I was in the steel industry for a dozen years and for various reasons decided to get out of that and wasn't sure what to do next. I ended up meeting a guy named David Sandler and the rest, as they say, is history. It was, I, I met him and uh, it was kind of like sparks flew, right? And I, and I knew that day that I'd be involved with him because it was my teaching background, uh, my sales background, my management background all put into one. And that was 31 years ago now. It's amazing how that happened, uh, that I've been doing sales and client development training. And, and now, quite frankly, I teach and make a living. And that's as good as it gets. And so I love what I do and love helping people and for to make it uh, relevant to uh, to this show my the really fun niche for us probably about and it's been growing steadily the last few years is the so-called professions the attorneys accountants architects and engineers and the largest of those is the attorneys of course and doing a lot a lot of work with attorneys and helping them grow their practice excellent and well you know so we're talking about the dreaded s word you know, which uh, for those attorneys and professional service, like you mentioned, uh, sales is a word they don't like to use. And actually, a lot of people don't like to use. They think it's, you know, title anyone, something other than that. Just don't use the you, word sales. You, you don't remember the last time you saw someone's business card and under their name, it just said sales. No. It's, right? it's always fancy. account executive or Northeast regional manager or whatever. Uh, and certainly you have never in your life seen one, seen, seen that on the, on the card of an attorney. And yeah, I always say that they went to, they all went to law school to avoid being in sales in the first place. And then one of two things happens. Either they hang out a shingle on their own 
And when the phone doesn't start ringing of its own accord after the first couple of weeks, they realize they got a sales gig or they go working for a firm and they work, you know, 100 and 200 hour weeks thinking they're on partner track. And it's usually somewhere around being a third year or a fourth year when it's kind of too late to leave and start over. When someone comes and whispers in the rear and says, you know, if you ever want to make partner, better start bringing in some clients. And that's the day they realize they got a sales gig. No, that's a good point. And uh, just before we dive into it a little deeper, um, you can check out Kevin at weexpectsuccess.com. If you're on audio, it's weexpect success.com you can check him out there and also kevin's an author wrote a book we'll get into that in just a bit i'll share that with you so you can pick up a copy if you need to and we'll get into that as well but so uh kevin back to your point i mean even when they again they, they realize they have a sales gig i don't think they accept that or embrace it really they, they're know, like well i gotta do something but they're still like but i'm not in sales I've got not to really, do not really. I'm marketing. <laughs> marketing, yeah, yeah marketing is a much easier. Marketing is an easier word. Yeah, business development. You know, oh, I'm just an attorney doing good work and helping people. I, I don't, you know, I don't sell. I don't advertise. I hear that quite often. They'll do a few things. They'll they'll do some. They might be on LinkedIn. They might do some blogging. They might have a newsletter. And the big thing that they do is they'll do some networking and networking is warmer and fuzzier than selling. It's, it feels better. And what I always say is most of them think they're networking and what they're doing is not working. They're going to events, they're having a drink or two, talking to some friends, coming home and thinking that they were at work. And th that's a lot of things, but that's not work. Sure. Well, here's the thing for me. Uh, if you believe in your product or service, in this case, service as an attorney, that what you do, you believe in, you believe it helps people and it's going to help them have a better situation or life, depending on what type of practice area you're in, then you're doing everyone a disservice by not getting more customers to help. They're out there needing the help, whether or not they find you or connect with you is the only differentiator. So... I agree. By the way, you used a horrible word. You called them customers <laughs> instead of clients. Um, okay, yeah, of so course, I, they're clients are not customers. God forbid we should use that word. But And you're totally right. The problem is, while they believe that what they've got is good stuff, they believe, or at least they want to believe, that they're better than their other colleagues in the same field. The problem is they have no clue is how to differentiate themselves from someone else. Yeah, I mean, I talk to attorneys all the time. It's, you know, you, know, you can see the passion that they have that without, out, we do marketing, of course. So we say, oh, yeah, these, these people show up, you know, over top you or in Google or they just show up everywhere in the market, whatever it might be. And like, oh, yeah, but we're better than them and they don't do this. And they just, you know, so they, they you know, they think they're better or they believe they're better, which is fine. But hey, you, you don't show up or you're not doing enough to, to have anyone even recognize that you're in the market. So no one's going to be able to see that passion or get the experience that you say you can take them through because you don't embrace the sales of the marketing and you want to stay away from it. You know, well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I'll ask them. I'll, I'll be talking to one firm, call them 
X, Y, and Z, um, and another firm will call them A, B, and C, the, the partner names, of course, you know, or do we cheat them and how, or however, whatever jokes we want to use. And I'll say, okay, are you better than your competition, the other, the other one? And X, Y, and Z said, oh, we're a lot better than they are. And I'll say, okay, why are you better? Well, first of all, we're, we're full service. We do really great. I mean, we really service our, our clients. I mean, it's amazing how well we service our clients. And we're fairly priced in the marketplace and blah, blah, blah. Now, if I go to the other firm and I say, how are you better than XYZ? They say, oh, we're a lot better because we're full service. And because we give, we're, we're so big on service and we do this, this, they all sound, if you'll excuse me, like the same crap. They have no clue how to differentiate. And the interesting thing is once they get a potential client in their office, particularly if it's an individual or a very small firm, if they can get you in their office, they're 90 plus percent closers. They get all the business. They just can't get anybody in their office. And when it's competitive, if they're going after a big company to be their attorney, to be their counsel. And they're, the other company is looking at three, four, five firms. They don't have a clue as to how to win it. They'll go and they'll give a presentation. They'll have a great PowerPoint, but they have no clues how to get the business. And in no. fact, most of the, here's the scary part. I don't even know how this is possible. <laughs> most of them are going up one out of three in those kind of presentations. Every firm I've spoken to wins less than a third. Someone's winning more than a third. I haven't met him yet, but someone's winning more. Hey there, this is Kevin Daisy, your host and founder of Array Digital. If you're tired of wasting money with agencies that just can't get it done, then please check out my law firm, Digital Marketing Agency, at ArrayDigital.com. If you contact us there, you'll be sure to line up a meeting with me where we'll walk through your exact situation and come up with a plan for what you can do to improve your marketing results. I look forward to talking to you. Now back to the show. So, no, I mean, it's a good point. I mean, just thinking about how many you know clients I have and then just attorneys that I've had on the show, almost 300 yep. or more. And, you know, they, they all want to tell their story and talk about their firm and how, you know, what they've done to be successful and why they're different and what you've, you know, a lot of what you said is is very similar to what most of them say. We're full service. We, you know, we have someone that's going to respond right away and, you know, all the different things, but it's it's all very similar. It's not, there's not many out there. Now there's been some on my show that have just done amazing things. But out of hundreds, I, I'm, I'd be willing to bet it's a fairly small percentage. Absolutely. It sure is. And you've got a large enough sample size for, for it to be meaningful. And then, you know, I, I see some firms too, you know, I'm all about growth and, and growing and continue to grow so that you can create opportunities for associates and partners and staff mm-hmm. and, and continue to grow. So everyone, everyone can fit their, their dreams and, and plans into that business, right? That's, that's our model here. But, you know, I do have some, you know, I know some attorneys that is one attorney or two attorneys and they use that as, well, that's why we're different because you're going to talk to an actual attorney. You won't just get a paralegal or, you know, whatever, but that's their differentiator. But they also, they stay very small. They're not growing. And that's a differentiator, except for one thing. 
what attorney is going to, when, when they're out, quote unquote, marketing, is going to say, let me tell you about your, our firm. We only let you talk to um, the low-level people. We only let you talk to a paralegal. You're never going to talk to the real attorney. Nobody's going to say that. Never <laughs> happens. It just never happens. And the other, you know, kind of a related issue is they don't know how to identify other attorneys who might be good at it. So the, the partnership mm. doesn't know how to identify who in the ranks that thinks they're on partner track, because they all think they're on partner track. They don't know how to identify which ones actually can grow the firm and can bring in business. And when they're looking to bring junior people in, mm. even, even when they're um, recruiting to get people out of school, they don't know how to screen for who can do business development, who's got that skill set. And there are tools that you can use to do that, but they don't have a clue. Yeah, more focused on where they go to school or are they, do we think they're going to be a good attorney? And the truth is law schools are spitting out an awful lot of good attorneys on a very regular basis. And good attorneys are, I, I, you know, everybody thinks they're great, but quite frankly, good attorneys are a dime a dozen. I, I don't mean that to be nasty and to <laughs> offend any attorneys, but there's truth in that. But attorneys that know how to grow a practice, they're rare. Yeah, good point. Yeah, that's something to think about right there. Everyone listening is that how do I identify uh, new talent? That's not just a good lawyer. Of course, they have a lot to learn anyway if they're junior or just coming out of school. So you're going to have to teach and, and groom them anyway to be a good lawyer. But can, yeah, can they, do they have the traits and, and, and things you're looking for that they can actually grow the practice and bring in business? Good question. Indeed. Indeed. The other thing that's interesting is when you ask attorneys how they grow their business, they invariably, they say by word of mouth, meaning referrals. Never and, heard that one before, Kevin. No, never, never. <laughs> uh, but then I asked the logical question, which is how many referrals are you averaging per client per year? And I always got a blank stare back because nobody is tracking that. And oh, by the way, if you're listening, you should be tracking that. And they're, they're afraid to ask. They think it sounds salesy to ask. They think it sounds uh, makes them feel needy. Um, but the truth is, if they were just a little bit okay at it, not great, a little bit. And let's just, because here's what I know. 98% of attorneys, the answer to that question of how many referrals are you averaging per client per year, the answer is a number between zero and one closer to zero. And I always say, just imagine if the answer to that question was one and you average just one good referral per client per year and you were a crappy closer and only got one out of four. Now, with referrals, you should do better. But if you only got should one out better. of four, then your practice would be growing 25 percent year over year forever. And you would never be having, first of all, you'd never be listening to this podcast. You'd never have to go to a networking event. You'd never have to do anything that was business development. You'd never have to hire a, net, a, net, a marketing person. You'd never have to uh, write blogs or, or do any of that. If that was the only skill you developed was that, you could grow your practice 25% year over year forever. And how many attorneys do you know that are doing that? Not many. I know of a few. few. They have at least, well, they have at least shared some process with me, you know, 
how real and effective it is, I don't know. But yeah, it's a it's a darn good point. You know, that's something I need to even work on with my own business here, right? Mm-hmm. So I have I do have tasking and things to to hit clients at certain points that I know uh, right. it's the best time I can ask them for a referral, and it always leads to referrals when I ask. So. Referral um, generation ends up being networking skills and referral generation end up being the two biggest things that they think they need from me. Well, you know, think about, you know, what it takes to, to get a new client in the door, whether that's through word of mouth or marketing or referral from a friend or whatever, you, to get that client in the door, whatever it took to get them there, to harness that relationship and they could be a client over and over again. Maybe it depends on what your practice area is, but who do they know? It's easier to go to them than to try to talk to some random person at a networking event that have, you have no clue what they want. They don't know who you are. Mm-hmm. There's no relationship there. That's a lot harder to me. You have someone that's already put trust. If you did a good job for them, there's no reason why they shouldn't try to give you a referral and you shouldn't feel bad about asking. And there's you know? no reason to feel bad, but that's, you know, we always talk about the three areas that we have to work on in training. We call them behavior, attitude, and technique. And everybody comes to us for technique. What's the magic words? What do I say when I'm out networking? What's the magic bullet? How do I get them? What do I say to get them to give me referrals? All of that. Give me a script. They're always surprised when we have to start by working on their heads. And Mm -hmm. when I say attitude, I don't mean good attitude or bad attitude. It's more about some internal beliefs that need to be worked on, getting comfortable putting on their sales hat and getting comfortable with the S word in the first place. And because if I can get them more comfortable doing it, then I can get them to actually do more behavior, actually ask, actually go to more networking events, actually do some more stuff. And if I can get them to do more, then I can give them some words that are better than what they're using now. No, that's a really good point. I actually have a a friend of mine who does some coaching with us, he's actually been in a lot of sales, uh, sales background, sales training. Mm-hmm. He, he used to own his own sales training company, but uh, he calls it head trash. So I call it. there you go. So, you know, your belief that this won't go well, or I can't sell, or no one wants me to sell to them and, or it's just going to look bad on me for trying. And so you just, you're like, I ain't, I'm not doing it. You know, there's gotta be some other way. There's got to be the magic bullet, the the secret word or something like that. It's always the crap between your ears that keeps you from being as successful as you could be or should be. Even the size of your average client is not a technical problem. It's a head problem. All right. If you do business law, corporate (laughs) law, and even contract law, whatever, if you're, there are a lot of people who know how to go out and bring in the solopreneur up to a five, $10 million company, but they never bring in the hundred million dollar company and they sure never bring in the $500 million company. And they think that the process is different. The process is exactly the same. The only thing that's different is their belief that they deserve that kind of business. Yeah. We don't deserve it or they're just, they're out of our reach. They're out of our reach. It's, it's just not what, it's not our expertise. It's not what we, we do. But the truth is, it is your expertise. The people that get that business are no smarter than you are. They're absolutely no smarter than you are. They just believe they deserve that business. And it's the same in every field. Same as mine. 
So. It's absolutely the same in every field. Uh, you're in the marketing world. You bring in a certain size client. You're not bringing in the billion dollar client. Now, it's easy to say, well, I don't go after them. Okay, but why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> and the, the, the truth is, in that case, the billion dollar client for the marketing company, that's a whole other business. That's a very different business. But we all get in comfort zones. No, you're, 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 you're spot on. We I mean, all I, I get remember... in comfort zones. And we don't under, we even might recognize that we're in a comfort zone. But very few people stop and say, okay, why am I in that comfort zone? And what do I have to do to break out of it? You know, they say things like break through your great, your glass ceiling, break out of your comfort zone, but they never tell you why you're in it in the first place. And you need to figure that out first and certainly not what you have to do in order to break out. Yeah. I mean, I think you get, you know, all of us, we get comfortable with what we have experience in. You fall back to that. So I remember when we, when I started my own, you know, with this firm and um, when we were starting out, I remember we were in. You know, my biggest client was maybe two grand a month. And then we got a client for 4,500 a month. And we were like, whoa, that's insane. And then, you know, a year later, it's like, okay, now we have 15 and $20,000 a month clients. Exactly. And then we're talking to ones that are 100,000 a month. And it's like, okay. But it, it's, you, and, you do exactly what you're saying. You, you kind of process. tell yourself, you tell yourself, we probably, that's too big for us. That's probably something we can't handle. You know, that that's, maybe where we shouldn't be. And so and you, you talk cases, yourself the process, You have to start with small clients to be able to get comfortable enough to go call on mid-sized clients. And you have to get comfortable there before you're going to start bringing in the larger clients. I, I think, you know, we all go through it and it happens all the time. And right now I, I would probably say, yeah, if someone's like, Hey, we got 500,000 a month to spend with you. I'd be like, Holy smokes. That's yeah. ridiculous. But someone but I guess, you know, to, sh to shorten that timeline, right. Yep. Is I think important too, exactly. because. You have to kind of go through that process and, hey, can we handle that client? And if we do, what do we need What do we need to handle that kind of client? And then let's go after them. But to shorten that that time frame from like a decade down to just a few years to the most, right? Exactly. And sometimes the way to do that is to start with goal setting. Because that, that's something else that most attorneys don't practice. Most people don't. And this is something that, uh, you know, I actually have my power list right here um, that I try to fill out every day. My business partner is really spot on with this. But if you go to some folks there, if you have to go to your employees and what are your goals? You know, what's your personal, professional, financial goals? You know, I don't have any, or they feel like they're almost like not uh, deserving to have those kinds of things. And it's like, no, 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 you have to, let's try to help you set these. Like, what are they? What, what do you want to do? And, no, it's just factual. There's, there's a mountain of data that says people who are what we call active goal setters are more successful than people who are not. And what's interesting is the biggest mistake people make is, well, the one biggest mistake is not putting them down on paper, right? You have to have written goals. That's number one. But the biggest mistake people make when they even get into the process of goal setting is they make the mistake of starting with their business goals. I want to make X thousands or hundred thousand dollars more next year. I want to make X percent more. Mm -hmm. And the problem is those are just numbers and numbers in and of themselves are usually not very motivating. I do. 
last year, shortly after, right now we're in the heart of goal setting season, right? It's from November yep. through January's goal setting season. Nobody thinks there's a season, but there is. And last year it was, I think February or March, I ran into an old client and happened to not be an attorney, but doesn't matter for the story. And I said, how's business? He said, great. I said, how are you going to do this year? He said, we are totally committed to 20% growth this year. And I said, that's great. And then I said, what happens if you only grow 15%? He goes, oh, 15 would be great. We'd be happy with 15. <laughs> so with one question, he gave up 25% of his goal, Yeah, which was just <laughs> insane. So the right way to practice goal setting is start with your personal goals. Mm. And yes, financial and business goals, but everything from health and fitness goals to spiritual goals to to family goals and, and every area, area of your life. I'm a, uh, a collector. I have wine goals. And I'll joke that my wife has shoe goals. And all of that's important because once you can define what you want your life and lifestyle to look like a year from now, five years from now, and in retirement, right? long-term, short-term, and retirement goals, mm. then stop and say, what do I need my practice to do to give me that lifestyle? A lot more motivating when you have. And all now it's more motivating. It. Now I know if I'm if I make an extra X thousand dollars, or an even more simply, I'll break it down. If I get three more clients this year, then I know I can I can put a down payment on that vacation house. Mm -hmm. That's motivating. That'll get yeah, me off yeah. my sorry button and start working for it. But when it's just a number, it's not quite as motivating. That's a good point. I think it's easy to to just go towards something that's vague or not, you know, you can't really put your mind around what it would mean to you. Exactly. Um, and so I, I think having, uh, that makes a lot of sense. And before we go too much further, Kevin's very good at goal setting so much so that he wrote the book, which is up here on your screen, goal setting bootcamp. Uh, you can find this book online on Amazon or on his website as well. Actually, I'll, I'll interrupt. It's actually cheaper on what on, on Amazon. Go to Amazon. And I the one thing I must encourage people, do not get the uh the Kindle version. Get it Got in it. hard copy. Spend the extra three dollars, get it in hard copy, because there's actually exercises in the book that need you to write it that I actually have to one of the first things I did in the first few pages of the book, I gave people permission to write in the book. Right. Mom oh, always right. told you that your teachers told you never write in a book, but there's a bunch of exercises that it really is better to put pen to paper than to just think it through. Love it. Okay. Good, good tip. So goal setting bootcamp, you go check that out. And as we're talking about goal setting here, which I think is really important. And the thing is, you know, you want to sell more, you want to bring in more clients, having goals and setting those goals and tracking those goals is going to be a massive help. And, yeah, as we're recording this, it's November of 23. And uh, I think most people wake up on January 2nd and go, I guess I better start doing something so that I can have a better year than I did last year. And they're already behind the eight ball. Indeed. So, and um, so it, it, it's, it's obviously something I'm passionate about. And I can talk about goal setting for the next uh, two hours, but I don't think we've got that kind of time. Well, we can probably have you back on. But, um, just for to help the audience that's listening right now, when this comes out, if you're listening right in a second, what are some, you know, what's a couple, a few tips around goal setting? If someone's listening right now, before they get your book, 
uh, what's some some things they can do to uh, get on the right track? First thing to do is get out your calendar and block some time to do it. Hmm. That's the very first step. Otherwise, you never do it. And I always say it's a really good thing to do with your spouse and, uh, or significant other. And if you don't have one of those, you can do it with a close friend. It's a great thing to do, you know, with a bottle of ni- bottle of wine on a, on a snowy afternoon or a snowy evening and uh, start with your personal goals. Short term, typically anything up to a year, long term, up to about five years and retirement goals. And even if you just got out of law school yesterday, you want to have retirement goals. Uh, if you don't start working on it now, you'll have, you'll be, you'll find yourself having a problem 20 years from now. Okay. Good tips. Good tips. I, I like in, uh, involving someone else. You know, I'm married. I have my wife. We, I'm actually trying to plan a, another session soon, but you know, to sit down and have, you know, goals for the family and ourselves. And what are we trying to accomplish uh, next year and beyond? But you know, the mind's a powerful thing. You know, thinking grow rich, great book. I just finished Absolutely. that again. It's all about, you know, repeating and going back to what you said you wanted to accomplish and write this stuff down and have goals and you track it and write it down every day. You're just wiring yourself to move that, in those that, right that's directions. How, that, that's how you hard hardwire yourself to start accomplishing things on a regular basis. And you start noticing opportunities that you wouldn't notice before. It, it is. It's like, so I have um, two vacation properties that are Airbnbs. And so we got the first one and I put a goal that I was going to have two up and running by a certain time period. And, um, and I didn't have the time. I had two. Boom. And but I was, I was looking and I was actually, you know, and I'd see other opportunities. Um, it's just one small thing, but it's, you know, did it a lot faster than my goal was. Uh, but if if I just kind of randomly said it to you one time, yeah, my goal is to own a vacation house one day, you know, unlikely that one one day doesn't it never comes. <laughs> it's not going to ever come it, unless you win the lottery. Or I'll give you another one. You have to have some accountability, and so there's one thing to say, I'm going to buy a new car next year. It's another thing to tell your next door neighbor that by Christmas there's going to be a new Mercedes in your driveway. It's a totally different thing. It puts a different level of pressure on you to make sure that you accomplish it. You don't want to walk out of the trash cans on January 1st and be like, yeah, I couldn't get it. (laughs) You got it. Exactly that. Exactly that. That's a good one right there. I like that one. I'm a big believer in accountability. Accountability and responsibility are two words that have gotten lost. Well, you know, think about, you know, and then we'll, we'll transition to uh, wrap up, but you know, I've earned my own company or if you're looking, you know, talking to a, a managing partner or an owner of a law firm, you know, are they accountable? Who are they accountable to? Right. If you're at the top, are you, you know, do you have someone to hold you accountable? I, I recommend so, to all my clients that they have an accountability partner. It's vital. My my accountability partner, we speak every Tuesday morning at 6.30 in the morning, typically for about a half hour, but sometimes that uh, goes for 45 or an hour. And it basically starts with, hey, last week you you said you were going to do A, B, C, D, and E. Did you do all that? And if not, why the hell not? 
And it just starts with that. The conversation starts with that. And our, our one agreement is that we'll never lie to each other. And I'd say 80% of what we talk about is business related. 20% is personal. He knows more about my business than anybody on the planet, including my office manager, including my spouse. And quite frankly, that's the way it should be. And he holds my feet to the fire and I get stuff. I get more stuff done because I have someone to be accountable to. I like it. Yeah. So if you're a managing partner or someone that you feel like, you know, you're at the top, get you an accountability partner. Maybe it's someone else in the firm, maybe it's another partner. Maybe it's someone completely different. Maybe it's someone outside the firm, a friend, a mentor. Probably should be someone outside the firm. Sure. Okay. Probably should be someone outside the firm. You don't want it to be someone you report to because that'll, that'll prevent you from set from being totally honest. And Mm -hmm. if you're at the top, you don't want it to be someone who's reporting to you. Got it. Good tip. Who who probably shouldn't be privy to all that information. So yeah, probably good to find like a good business colleague. Maybe they work in a different kind of business. Could be a colleague from, from another firm. Absolutely. That you're comfortable with. Uh, My accountability partner happens to be in the same industry. We don't, we're not competitors. We're, we're, we're about a thousand miles apart. So we're in no way competitors. So we're happy to help each other. I'm happy to help him build his practice. In fact, I love when I can help him do that. That nothing makes me feel better than that. That's awesome. Well, all good tips. I appreciate you sharing that. And yeah, just kind of a recap, you know, sales is something you got to get comfortable with. If you're in, if you're an attorney trying to grow the business, grow the firm, that's something you need to be comfortable with. You need to have a process for referrals and asking your clients for referrals. I think a lot of attorneys just fall into, well, other attorneys refer me. That's great. You know, that's great, but, you know, build a process and a system. That's great, but. And you can set goals, you know, set those goals uh, around that as well. But um, I love what you said about goals is, you know, I ask attorneys this all the time when if they're becoming clients of ours, what is your growth goals? And they just throw out, you know, I'd like to grow 10% every year, or I'd like to, but really tying, I think uh, there's personal things, tangible or, you know, there's things that you're looking to acquire or, or do or travel, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. uh, that is going to drive you to actually meet that goal versus some number that you can easily change once you realize you're not hitting that number. Well, great, great tips, uh, Kevin. I appreciate it. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we roll? Kevin, this was great. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. If anybody wants to uh, contact me, my email address is kevin at weexpectsuccess.com. Anybody wants to contact me, happy to, happy to, to, what I'll tell them is they'll at least get some response and, and they'll get it pretty promptly. Yes. Uh, yeah, I've been with Kevin. And, uh, I was actually referred to Kevin mm-hmm. by another gentleman who's actually in the legal field and uh, helps coach. And, and help grow law firms in the UK, uh, refer me to Kevin because of his expertise. And yeah, very responsive. And, and that would be John, who, if you haven't had him on, you should have him on at least twice. Yeah. And John McCarthy's actually come on the show. But yeah, I got so many good guests like John and, and you that, you know, I could just have so many conversations with on the show and, and that probably will happen. So I appreciate the referrals and uh, looking for good guests all the time. Anyone listening, managing partner, if you've not been on the show and you feel you can bring some heat, some some fire, some knowledge, reach out. We'd love to have you on. You can always LinkedIn me, 
Kevin Daisy on LinkedIn. The fastest, easiest way to get a hold of me. And we'll uh, try to get you on the show. So, Kevin, I thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. Everyone check out his book and connect with him if you can. And I'm this sure was a total pleasure. I've enjoyed it. And uh, uh, I'll come back anytime. Excellent. Well, next time we can have you play the piano that you I see in the background. Over there. Uh, there you go. And if you buy into that, have I got a deal for you? All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Managed Partners Podcast. We'll see you soon. Get out there, get after it, set those goals, and we'll talk to you soon. Kevin, I'll see you backstage. Everyone else, have a great day. Take care. Thank you for listening. We have been producing this podcast for years have had hundreds of guests and produced hundreds of episodes. We don't ask for much, but I do have one ask. If you find value in this podcast, please share it with one person just like you. The best way to do that is to send them to ArrayDigital.com where we have a full library of all the episodes that they can sort by practice area and or state. So again, we appreciate you listening. And thanks for sharing.